And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. This morning, we go back to Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Wisdom and knowledge. The two most important treasures hidden in Christ. Listen closely as myths and lies with regards to wisdom and knowledge are scripturally dispelled by God's word. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Back to Colossians 2. I'm going to read now verses 2 and 3 again, over again. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a, a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So will you notice with me that two of the most important treasures which are hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ are number one, wisdom, and number two, knowledge. Now back in the time when the first readers at Colossae received this inspired letter written by, humanly speaking, by Paul, the book of the Colossians, there were some teaching errors. There were some false heretical teachings floating around Colossae wanting to penetrate the band of believers called the Colossian church. And the false teaching was essentially this. The false teaching back then was that the average person couldn't ever expect to fully understand the secret spiritual wisdom that was unattainable to the average person. Put another way, this false teaching was that you had to be spiritually, philosophically, and academically elite to understand the biggest things in life of a spiritual nature. You know, that old lie, Satan is not a creator. Only God Almighty can create. Satan only corrupts something that already exists. It's important to remember that. Satan creates nothing. He only corrupts good things that God has created. Satan takes this old Colossian lie that you have to be an elitist to understand the true wisdom and uh, profound nature of life, and he redresses it today. Same lie with modern clothes passed off to us today. What are the lies? That you can only know the true things that you need to know if you go to a palm reader or read tarot cards. Or if you have additional scriptures to the Holy Bible, like the Book of Mormon. Or that you are somehow a master of complicated humanistic philosophies. Or that only the Pope and the Vatican and the upper echelon of the Roman Catholic Church can possibly know what's really going on. These are new lies based on the old lie that was back in Colossae. That you have to be elite to be initiated into certain truths. Or Kabbalah is that, that today now, Kabbalah. Or Bible codes and numerologies. Or David Koresh and Branch Davidian-like cults. They believe if you only get involved with their domineering, unbiblical leader and do whatever he says, you can't know the true secrets of spirituality. That is the cult mentality of operative today. 
or consulting a guru for hidden truth or making pilgrimages to certain enlightening places for your spiritual life or hiring spiritual guides and paying them for their special and secret insights into what's hidden spiritually from everybody else who doesn't have a pay-per-view guide or discarding the Bible because it's somehow passe and inadequate or adding to the Bible Because somehow we have to believe they say that it doesn't adequately tell us everything that we need to know. Or claiming to know the exact timing of Christ's return. And the person who makes that claim suggesting that only if you were spiritual enough and biblical enough that you could know the secret timing of Jesus Christ's return as well. We could go on and on. This old lie is dressed up in so many different ways. Hiring... uh, a medium to try to speak with your dead ancestors to know what you should do in the present time. Seances. It's the old lie redressed for the modern culture. Or banking on extra-biblical, contrary to Scripture accounts of little children or adults who went to heaven and came back and giving that gospel truth credence. It's the old lie redressed for this century. The good news of the treasure of Jesus Christ, who is all the wealth, is that when we are in him, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us to illuminate our minds and understandings of Scripture so we have everything we need to know right here. We don't have to add anything to God's word, and we should never subtract anything from God's word. So how does this work? It says that in verse 3, in whom Christ are hidden... All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, what is that? Why why would that be hidden? I mean, didn't Christ come the first Christmas to explain God? Absolutely. And did he not say in his earthly ministry, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Absolutely, he said that. So wasn't Christ coming as a revelation? Yes, he did come as a revelation. How then did he come as a concealment? How is it that certain truths that are intrinsic and wrapped up in him are hidden? I mean, if he came to reveal God the Father, and he did, and he came to explain God the Father, and he did, then in what respect are these things hidden from some people? This way. Let's start with non-Christians. People who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, they have Christ's treasures hidden from them. If you go with me to 2 Corinthians 4... Hold your place here in Colossians and go with me to 2 Corinthians 4. I want to read with you 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. We're we're going to see here how it is that Jesus Christ's value and treasure is hidden from those who aren't yet Christians and why it's hidden, how it gets hidden. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, this is what it says, and even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, that's a little g God, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why is it that lost people are finding the truths of Jesus Christ's treasure hidden? 
because the devil has blinded the eyes of their minds. And it takes a working of the Holy Spirit to restore that sight that's lost. What about some true Christians? We can understand that lost people see the beauties and value of Jesus Christ as being hidden. What about some of our own? What about some of us? What about some brothers and sisters in Christ, genuinely born-again people who are still not clear about what they have in Christ, his treasure, his value, his worth. And in some sense, those things are hidden even from true Christians. How does that work? Matthew 13, 1 to 9, if you'd like to go there. Jesus was telling a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning that stands in need of interpretation. Parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning that stands in need of interpretation. And I'm going to let you read the story with me, and then we'll go to one aspect of Jesus Christ's interpretation of his own story. So Matthew 13, 1 to 9. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying... Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And now if you let your eyes skip ahead to verse 22 of Matthew 13, I want us to focus in on one part of the Lord's interpretation of his own story. Matthew 13, 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Here Jesus, in his story, his parable of the sower and the soils, is explaining that in some cases, seed that germinates, people who accept Christ and believe the gospel, in some cases, these are distracted by the cares of this world and by the worries of this world. And in particular, Jesus in verse 22 warns the hearers against the distraction of wanting to be rich. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas Rogers here at Calvary Bible Church, also the commander of our Awana program. Awana is a a ministry that's been around for 43 years here at Calvary Bible Church. In fact, Calvary Bible Church was the first ever Awana group here in the Bahamas, brought by Catherine Cole and Barbara Sawyer. We have had a successful run at Awana for 43 years, like I've already said. It's an outreach program for our people in our community um, who can come out and hear more about, about Jesus Christ. Our Awana program will begin this year at September 8th. Now, you may be asking, what is Awana? Why would I want to send my kid to Awana? Well, Awana is a faith-based program which allows your kids to not only hear the Word of God, but to memorize the Word of God. 
The Bible says in Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, we need to not only just know or hear the word of God, but we need to memorize it and know it because as we see in, in the case of Jesus in the temptation, where he recited the Bible and fought against the devil. And that's what we need in the day. As you look around in our culture today, we have so much problems with crime, with all these things that come out around us. And we need to know the word of God. Awana has four elements. We have the opening ceremony. Then we have song time. Then we have council time. And then we have game time. This is not just, all right, we want you to come here and just we're going to read the Bible and we're going to just pray we also have games, and games are exciting. We know kids, and this is probably what attracts most people to a one-up because the game time is exciting. Um, in fact, this year we hope to have and bring back our one Olympics where we can compete and have a great time of, of seeing kids just excited to cheer on their fellow friends and fellow peers and, and just to see um, so many people just come. I remember as a clubber, I remember just the excitement of coming out here on a Saturday and hearing um, people like Brother Leslie Roberts on the microphone and just screaming, go red, go blue, go yellow, go green, you know, and just the excitement to see. And I think one thing that's missing today is just the parent support. Back in those days, we had parents who were always there to support their kids and to to um, cheer on their kids. And I think this is what's lacking in our culture today. So that is our game time. Council time is when we share the word of God. Um like I said, this is probably the most important time because our, our goal at Awana is to see boys and girls reach with the gospel of Christ and train them to serve them. You see, we don't want to just see them come to know Christ as Savior. We want to see them come to know Christ as Savior, but also to be trained, to be discipled, to be good citizens, not just in their homes or, or, or here, but around the world. Because we know of stories of many Awana clubbers here in the Bahamas who have done great things from politicians to doctors to lawyers. And the list goes on. These are people who have been through the Awana program. And it's not nothing that we have done. It's what Christ has done through our leaders and through us that uh, I've seen this growth. Um, again, Awana stands for approved workman that is not ashamed. You know, we need to understand that they, we don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us, do not be ashamed of the gospel. You see, and I think that's what we have lost today in our culture because I think today we, th- we, we, we go with the tide. We go with the world. We, we want to fit in. We must re- recognize that we have to be a light in this dark world. And the only way that we can be a light is that we know Christ is our Savior. And this morning, if you're listening and if you don't know Christ is your Savior, I would challenge you to make that commitment. Because that could be the greatest commitment that you could ever make in your life. And then we have our our scripture memory, our handbook time, which they break out in the clubs and they memorize scripture. And like I said, this is very important, especially at a young age, because if you know anything about the young brain, it's a sponge. And it could latch on to good things and it could latch on to bad things. And we must recognize that in these things, we must honor Christ and we must know that if I'm memorizing scripture and I'm filling my mind with this stuff as the old computer thing goes, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. But with the word of God, we're allowing that to just change our lives and allow that to filter everything we're about. Our lives will be different. Our country will be different. Our community would be different. And like I said, this is an outreach event. Um, this is probably the biggest outreach that Calvary Bible Church has, where we have basically this year tripled in size. Uh, we have partnered a lot with a lot of schools in the in the area, 
and it's been a great program to just see the growth and to see some of these cl- clubbers when they come at the beginning to see what type of kids they are and to see how the word of God has changed them to the end. And I think that this is very important. So I would challenge you if you aren't going to any other Awana program or if you're looking for something for your kids to be involved in, check us out. Again, Awana starts at 6 o'clock, September the 8th, and it runs from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Um, so please, if you need more information, you can call me. Again, my name is Pastor Nicholas here at Cary Bible Church, and the number is 326-0800. Thank you. And now, help for the hurting with the director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Good morning, and thank you again for having us in your homes or vehicle, wherever you are. If you are listening to us, we are indeed grateful to be in your presence by way of radio. Today we will like to share a little about dishonesty. We have found in our counseling that dishonesty has been plaguing us throughout time, really. More recently, of course, the increased use of internet and social media and the ease and accessibility of affairs and pornography has made lies, betrayal, and deception a very common and complex issue in the lives of couples therapy. For example, here is a couple where an affair had been hidden before they were married, and now it is exposed, but still there are lies. This is very complex. But today we want to look at a few points that will help us to be able to deal with the impact lies have on relationship. And of course, in the studio with me is my wife, Helen Arnett, and I'd like to ask you a question. What are some of the things that you think we need to do or decisions that we need to make to be truthful to start with? First, we have to recognize how we are hurting uh, the relationship. Um, you know, there's a saying that what you don't know don't really hurt you, but I, I don't really buy that because if you uh, have cancer, uh, it's hurting you. Even if you, at this point, you're not sure, it's probably spreading all through your body and the earlier you can go in and get help, maybe your life will be uh, spared for a few more years or whatever. So um, saying that, um, what you don't know, don't hurt, I think it's really fallacy. I think the first step you have to make a decision to be truthful. And the, tr- the truth will hurt, but it will begin the journey of healing. You have to recognize and appreciate that telling the truth is challenging, but it's worth that effort, that big step. And I think it's better to have a unpleasant truth than to have a pleasant lie and you're living this lie smiling pretending but all along you have to keep remembering the lies to cover yourself and of course 
you not only have to remember the lie you would have told, but you have to continue to tell lies in order to cover. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the more you try to cover, the more lies you end up telling. Mm -hmm. And of course, you are trapped. Mm -hmm. The word tells us that it's the truth that set us free. And I also like what Sir Walter Scott says. He says, what a tangled web we weave when first we began to practice deception. Right. So if you start that journey, it's a web you're caught into. And I think uh, you can get stuck. And very soon you won't know what is the truth or what is really a lie. Your whole life is just living this lie. And your friend or wife or husband really don't know the real you. I agree. Another point that we need to make sure that our listeners understand is that we need to decide what you want to happen in your life or as far as the the, the relationship is going to to be. Yeah, you have to decide what you want to happen. Do you want to continue living a lie? Or do you want to come out and meet with the person and be brutally honest and say, you know, um, all along I've been living this lie or when I told you that particular story before we got married, it really wasn't the truth. Thank you very much. We, as a young man, I was always taught to speak the truth, speak it ever, cause it what it will. For he who hides the wrong he does, does the wrong thing still. I pray that you will think of that this week and we will continue with this next week, God's willing. Have a good day and God bless. And now, the Bible's answers to your questions. We're always pleased to try to provide Bible answers to your good questions. You can submit questions to us here at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. The first question I'm going to seek to answer today is this. For those who are saved on our Lord's return and reign, will there be sin in the world? Basically, I need to answer that by starting with the answer that there are two different returns of Jesus Christ predicted. The first is the rapture return. That's predicted in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And the second return of Jesus is simply called the second coming return. And that is predicted, among other places, in Revelation chapter 19. The rapture return occurs first. It's an any time now return of Christ. And it will set up seven years of tribulation judgment on the earth. Revelation chapters 4 through 19 describe some of the horrors of that future seven years of tribulation. The second coming return of Jesus ends those seven years of tribulation, and it does so for a purpose. The second coming return of Jesus sets up a thousand-year millennial kingdom of Christ on earth. We read of that in Revelation 20. This is the answer to our Lord's model prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this future thousand-year 
kingdom of Christ on earth, we refer to as the millennium, God's will will be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven, namely perfectly, consistently, etc. So the questioner is asking about the second coming and the subsequent millennium following the second coming because the question uses the word reign, R-E-I-G-N. Recall the question is, for those who are saved on our Lord's return and reign, will there be sin in the world? So again, the question is really centered around the second coming event, and essentially the question is about whether or not there'll be sin in this future millennial kingdom. The answer is yes, there will be. This shows us that even in ideal conditions there will be sin, but it will be sin that is judged and checked by Christ himself with force. Uh, in Isaiah 11, verses 3 and 4, we read of this. In Micah 4, verses 2 and 3, we read of this. Uh, one way I'd like to teach it is that Christ came the first time as the lamb for sinners slain. He will come the second time to establish his kingdom as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Going back to what the scriptures predict about this thousand-year kingdom we call the millennium, a very important feature is that Satan will be bound during those 1,000 years. We read of this in Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3. But people in the millennial kingdom are still fallen. They're born with a sin nature like we are. They're fleshly. They, they are depraved before salvation. Uh, some will be saved just like we are by putting their faith in the finished work of Christ. Others in that millennial kingdom will remain unregenerate. They will reject Jesus Christ, as amazing as that will sound. And the righteous, perfect rule of Jesus, King Jesus, will require him using the rod of his mouth, according to Isaiah 11, verse 4, and sometimes actually slaying or killing wicked ones in the millennium. That's predicted in Isaiah 11, verse 4. So, with some in this millennial kingdom, they will be undergoing a slow burn of rebellion and hatred toward King Christ. And so, when Satan is released from his confinement at the end of a thousand years, and he wants to go for one more attempt at overturning Jesus Christ, he has a quick and a sizable uh, human army of volunteers willing to fight Jesus with Satan. That's predicted in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9. It is interesting and somewhat tragic that um, even in ideal uh, sin-suppressing circumstances on earth, that an innumerable number of people will hate Jesus. It really shows us that the problem with hating Jesus is not sourced in environment and social condition, but rather it is sourced in the human heart. We are rebels at heart until we respond to God's grace and he changes us from the inside out. It is interesting that the righteousness of the millennial kingdom typically will suspend sickness and death for the thousand years. But there will be cases where there will be illness and even death as a judgment from the Lord Jesus Christ as king uh, during that period. Verses like Isaiah 33, verse 24, Isaiah 65, verse 20, Jeremiah 30, verse 17, and Ezekiel 34, verse 16 talk about 
how uh, sickness and even death will be a judgment of the king in his kingdom future. So I hope that answers the question. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.